You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. People, my people, glad to be back. I'm Doc Coyle, your host of this X-Men podcast show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, I'll tell you this, guys. I meant to have a show out last week, uh, but some crazy shit kind of happened to your boy, all right? Uh, if you've been following the show for a while, you, you'll probably know that I, I've been doing gigs and jamming with Rob Trujillo, the bass player from Metallica, for a few years, about almost since I've moved to LA. Uh, but we have not jammed in a while. And that was in a band called Mass Mental. Uh, did a couple gigs. Sometimes I would just come in for rehearsals uh, because they had another guitar player who couldn't make it. So I was more like the backup. You know, if they couldn't get this guy, they holler at your boy. Um, and it was always amazing and humbling and uh, a great learning experience and but as Metallica they put out a new album and they've been touring like mad and his schedule is insane uh and I've I've been really busy and, and in a sense I was like oh man you know who knows maybe maybe I won't I won't hear from him or, or anything not that I actually was kind of the last thing on my mind even though he hit me up not too long ago about playing uh with suicidal tendencies before uh Ben Wyman got the gig and I was not available so i couldn't even deal with that but anyway he hits me up about a month ago says hey uh we're doing this thing called the wedding band which is uh whitfield crane from ugly kid joe joey castillo the drummer who was in queens of the stone age for like 10 years and currently playing with the hives and the bronx um and the other guitar player in this band is kurt Cammett from metallica and so he was like hey uh we're doing this gig in Toronto. Kurt can't make this rehearsal. Can you learn this set and come do a rehearsal? It happened to land on a on a day that I was off from tour with Bad Wolves, and I said, "Of course." And uh, I was really looking forward to it because uh, it's like, you know, Judas Priest and ACDC and Black Sabbath and these cool funk tunes. It's it's a real chance to kind of stretch out musically, and just anytime you get to jam with with guys like that uh it's something i always want to do i always like to mix it up and play new things and anyway so learn the tracks show up for rehearsal the rehearsal goes really good the band sounds great 
you know, and I'm thinking, that's it. I was like, you know what? I did my job. I made him happy. I showed up prepared. And uh, I think that was pretty much it. And then at the end of the rehearsal, Rob's like, hey, you know, uh, this sounded really great, man. I was really happy with the way the band sounds. Um, you know, I think we really, you know, now I'm thinking about it. I think it'd be great to get you on this gig. He's like, let me let me make some calls, you know. So, we, you know, so we, he makes some calls and comes back and he's like, yeah, budget wise, you know, they don't know if, if, you know, it's just last minute and yeah, it doesn't look like it's, it's going to work. But, you know, maybe next time, you know, we'll definitely be doing a gig in May. You know, we'll, we'll try and get you on that one, you know. And I go back and I think about it. I'm like, listen, if I can get myself to Toronto, would, would I be able to, you know, would you still want me to do there? And, you know, and this went back and forth like all night. So I didn't figure out till that night. We kind of got the thumbs up, booked some flights. And uh, I was supposed to leave to start the Bad Wolves tour with Papa Roach uh, on Friday. And because this happened, I had to fly out on Wednesday. So I rehearsed on Tuesday. Next thing you know, I'm flying to Toronto on Wednesday. And then I had to fly on <laughs> Saturday morning to get uh, to Dallas to meet up with the, the Papa Roach show. And so anyway, I go. next thing you know, I'm going to Toronto. And the whole thing, this, this band's called The Wedding Band because they, they started it. Uh, they played somebody's wedding. I forget who who they who they 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 played with, um, or who the wedding was for. But uh, the whole show they're doing at this place called Cosmos Music, which is one of the craziest music stores I've ever seen. It's like a mall. You know, they have a music school in there, and they have a soundstage where we play that that um, you know holds like two or three hundred people. They have a Starbucks in there, and every department has its own storefront. This place is amazing, um, and. Kirk Hammett was essentially doing an exhibit at a museum showing his entire horror movie uh, memorabilia collection that was geared around his poster collection. And that's what was the main event. And uh, and we we're doing this show kind of in, in tandem with that. And uh, so he was, Kirk was running, you know, he was doing press, he was doing meet and greets, he was being pulled every, every, every which way so it was it was, a, it was a bit stressful but um you know and i and the thing is you know a lot of people know you know maybe you do maybe haven't i've toured with metallica with you know when i was playing with lamb of god and so i you know i'm, I'm familiar with with the guys and i know who i am and you know we, we got to like do a little sit down uh before we re- rehearse on the first day and uh you know he knows who i am he's he's the coolest he's the coolest dude now if i haven't talked about rob trio he's the fucking coolest dude in the world most down to earth, so professional, so talented. Um, but, um, you know, it's it's really interesting because Rob obviously has only been in the band since 2003, which obviously a very long time. He's actually the longest bass player in Metallica. But, you know, there's a different um, air, you know, dealing with Kirk Hammett, just even like when he enters a room, he has like a, a security guard and he has his assistant and he has people and there's a, a lot of hullabaloo, you know, you have someone, there's a different kind of level of celebrity and, and, and reverence, you know, and I had, a, I, had a, I had a buddy ask me, he's like, oh, so you were like uh, the Chris Farley show, you know, if you guys haven't seen that, it's, it's this SNL bit where he would kind of fawn over Paul McCartney or other, other celebrities. And, and the thing is, I'm just, I'm just not like that. Um, because I think from the main point is I, being a musician who gets some, some notoriety, of course, not on that level, um, I don't want to be treated that way, like I'm always being interviewed, or that uh, whatever that professional or or the front of what you are is who you are. Because that's not where people are. There are people are just people, 
you know, and ultimately we're just musicians, and that's really what we vibed on. You know, all the guys, anytime we weren't rehearsing or hanging out, we, dudes were just telling stories about the road, telling stories about working on records, talking about back in the day. And, and, and me, I just tried to shut up and listen as much as possible. And the playing experience itself was really, really incredible. Um, you know, I it's funny. I, I, I kind of realized after doing what well, it was d- just within everything that when I got into music, I always hung out with older people. The people that got me into playing guitar were always like a generation older, you know, so they were exposing me to different things. And a lot of my friends were older. And when I was in God forbid, I was the youngest guy. Everyone was about five, six years older. And uh, so I think my sensibilities are a little, are almost like a generation older. And so I, in a way, I almost feel more comfortable playing Judas Priest and ACDC and Black Sabbath than sometimes I do, you know, with like the new modern stuff. You know, it's, you know, I like just having a guitar tuned to standard and using it, you know, I had a Marshall amp, even though I use the EVH as I wanted. They said they, they were going to have it. They didn't have it. And, you know, and just jamming and not, Having it, you know, you want to be tight as a player, but but the rock element, which is based in blues and improvisation and feel and, you know, jam with those guys is cool because they, they all look at each other when they play. You know, they really physically vibe. And, and when you see the way, like, Rob moves on stage or, um, or Kirk, like, that's how they rock out at rehearsal, too. Like, they're really feeling the music from a, from a really pure sense. Um, and that's cool because these guys, they don't have to do this shit. Like they, you know, I'm pretty sure Kirk was footing the bill for this and they were spending money to do it and they weren't making money. I wasn't what it's, what it's about that ultimately these guys want to be there. And that was a really cool thing. It was really inspiring and it really, you know, this show went really well and you know, it, it you know, I'm not going to lie. It was very validating for me. Um, you know, I got a lot, obviously a lot of feedback uh, good feedback and uh, part of me I remember the first time I post like a picture talking about it I actually felt bad because I felt I don't know I, I get weird about gloating or showing off or doing things just for the validation so so when I say validation it's not necessarily me getting respect from other people it's more about my personal confidence because it does you know, it does wane and it sways and it goes back and forth where I go long periods of time where I'm like, yeah, I'm not that good. I'm not as sick as these guys and I'm not as technically proficient as these people over here. Um, but to be able to do a gig like this, which was very diverse, where I had to learn a lot of material in a very short amount of time, where I had to be on my feet, I had to remember a lot. Um, the things that I do well um, worked really well for the envi- this particular musical environment. And to see some of these people, you listen, and, and I'm talking about the guys in Metallica, but you know, I got to mention Whitfield Crane. He sings for Ugly Kid Joe. Um, he was in uh, Life of Agony, a few other bands. I mean, this guy, I mean, you talk about a fucking singer, man. Oh my God. And a presence and someone that should be world famous. And I'm, you know, he's going to do the podcast at some point. We're going to, we just have to work out the schedules. He's like living in Europe and touring. And the drummer, Joey, I mean, hits like a, hammer so professional and all the guys everyone's just cool you know and that's that's the thing i think when you're dealing with i think younger musicians who are still trying to prove themselves and still trying to 
still have that chip on their shoulder. When you're around people who just like, they know they're good, they know they're cool, and they're not, you know, they're they're just, I don't know, it's just a different energy. And, uh, and you know, and it was something that after the gig was over, I definitely was riding pretty high, you know, and I say, this is something, you know, it's when you have these experiences and it's, it's important to enjoy them because they may never happen again. It may never happen again. You never know. You know, and you, you know, hopefully I'll put myself in the position to be able to do cool things like that in the future and be around. Uh, and, and I say not just be around, but take a big part in uh, with, you know, people that are very accomplished and people that, that I look up to, you know. So anyway, you know, I, I went a little longer on, the, on this little uh, monologue than usual, but I feel like the experience probably deserve that and uh and i'm glad i could i could share that with you guys because it was definitely something to remember really fun and and i feel the main thing and i talk about this all the time but i'll say it again the main thing is just gratitude you know just living that a lot of people say man you earned this you deserve this um you know i'm proud of you blah 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 but it's ultimately i feel lucky not that i feel like oh anybody can go in there and do what i did it's not that it's that i feel lucky because I know there's so many talented people out there. I'm not the most talented guy, you know? Um, and success doesn't always come to the most talented people. You know, you have to get a lot of other things right. And you also have to put yourself in a position to have opportunities come your way when the time is right. Just like, be, you know, it's kind of just being, you know, part of it is being in the right place, right time. But uh, I do think I at least put myself in a position to, you know, treating people right being prepared, being professional, um, having a gr good attitude. You know, I feel like I'm a very positive person and, and, and just enjoying it, doing it for the, for the right reasons. So anyway, I glad I could share that with, with, with you guys. I know I just said that, but I, I really am. And it's all about that gratitude and think about that when some cool things happen, take some time, appreciate it. It doesn't mean taking a million, I probably took four or five pictures, the whole thing, or, you know, it's it was I really wanted to just be there, be it be in the moment. Anyway, with that out of the way, we have a show sponsor this week, guys. This is a band called Nothing. And just to dispense the uh, confusion, there is an American band named Nothing. This band is actually from Australia, and they they let they let me know they've been around since the early two thousands. Put a record out in two thousand seven, so they predated. This other band that's that's uh, called Nothing that I know is, is making some uh, has made some headway and, and definitely uh, made a name for themselves. Then they said <laughs> they even said said look if it comes to it we will change our name but at this point it's not a problem. So um, anyway I'm gonna play a song entitled Self Repair Manifesto from a forthcoming album of the same name. Check it out.
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from The Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. So that was nothing. The band from Australia, not the U.S. nothing. (laughs) Just for the cheap seats with their track Self Repair Manifesto. And that is the also the title track of their album, which is going to be coming out in six parts, released chronologically as a concept series of singles. That's interesting. I think that is very, very cool. And they are set to release something or record something, excuse me, uh, part two of this called Subterfuge in the coming month due for release late September. And you can find the music on all streaming platforms. But uh, me, I always like to direct people to if, if the bands have a band camp to go over there because you can, you know, really support the band. And theirs is nothingmetal.bandcamp.com. This song is currently up there for stream and purchase. And also their face, it's facebook.com backslash nothing metal, M-E-L-B as in Melby, Melbourne, Melbourne, if I'm doing it right, even though probably get some shit for that. And they have a show coming up at uh, Blister Metal Fest 5 on November 16th at the Bendingo and the Tote. That's that's a fucking name for a venue, and that is in their their hometown of Melbourne, Melbourne. Goddamn, fucking that up. <laughs> actually, actually, I've, I've announced. Actually, let, hold on. Before, let me get my shit together. Let me just say one thing, guys. It's like four in the morning. I'm exhausted. I've been getting a lot of sleep. I've been flying. I started this tour with Papa Roach and and uh, asking Alexandria. I'm pretty shot, but I went and saw some movies, and. Uh, 
you know, I was like, I need to get this fucking podcast out because motherfuckers need this shit. So if I'm a little off, little, you know, things aren't always connecting, I'm, I'm just going to apologize in advance. And after the fact, some shit already fucked up. But anyway, nothing. Thank you so much for supporting the band. If you want to support this show, if you want to sponsor it, email me at the xmanpodcast at gmail.com or send me a message on social media and I will hit you back. Okay. Oh, actually, here's what here's what I, I wanted to do. I'm gonna announce. Uh, I'm gonna be going to Australia with Tommy Vex from Bad Wolves to do an Australian tour, an acoustic tour, and we're gonna be playing with Danny Worsnop from Asking Alexandria, and that is right before Christmas. And I think some of the shows already sold out. So it ain't because of me. It's because them pretty motherfuckers. You know what I'm saying? God damn. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'm sure I'll, I'll I'll post some stuff. You you get you guys will see it. So with that, this is a long beginning. I wonder if anyone's still fucking listening. They probably just fast forwarded past this to go listen to the interview with guys. I have a fucking great guest this week. Uh, his name is John Baisley. He is the singer and guitar player and the last remaining original member of the band Baroness. And I am a massive fan of this band. Um, for many years now, I've, you'll, you'll, you'll hear in the interview, I, I, I really kissed this guy's ass. And, uh, and it's interesting because you know, on this show, you guys don't, rarely do I speak with someone who I'm not friends with. And I think I might've met him once maybe, uh, in passing in LA, but I, I do not have a relationship with him, but, um, I have so much respect for him and he's obviously, and if you're a fan, uh, he's I mean, a, a renowned visual artist has done uh, artwork for bands, you know, like Darkest Hour and High on Fire and obviously all all the Baroness records. And uh, they have a new album out called Golden Gray. That's really great. They're just one of the, to me, they're one of the true artistic bands. I, I, I put them up there with, you know, the Mastodons and Tools and Gojiras. And they're one of those bands. They're, they're very rare. And you'll hear from this interview, man, this guy's a true visionary and someone that uh that really sticks to his guns and he's gone through a lot you know with a the band had a, a big uh bus accident that really affected the band and you know what i'm not gonna do the talking i'm gonna let john do the talking because this was a real honor to have this gentleman on the program so you know what i'm gonna stop talking and you're gonna hear this conversation with the man the main man john Baisley. Really appreciate you doing this, and welcome to the X Man Podcast. Um, yeah. And you're, you know, I would say you're a little bit different for the show because you, are you really an X Man? Have you ever been in another band besides Baroness? Nope. Wow, your first. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been playing music. I've, I've been in. I've been in a, like like in high school. I had a band, but we didn't. It wasn't a band that did anything. It was, you know, it was just a rotating group of members that just could play like, you know, a bunch of Nirvana songs. Like it was kind of like that, you know? And then in college, I, I think I had like a punk band, but it wasn't like, it wasn't a serious thing. I never toured or anything like that. So I played music with other people, but the only band that I've ever put time, effort and energy into is this. And I have, yeah, I, I ended up in that, I've ended up in that weird spot where it's like kind of difficult for me to do other things because, you know, because I've been doing this so long, if I was to, start another if i was to start or join another thing it would be like too big a deal so i i, I kind of have to you know anything that i want to do musically i have to do in this band which is great but well i guess uh, yeah. i guess you're lucky it's a, it's a fairly diverse band you guys cover 
a lot of ground from, you know, different, very, you know, high levels of intensity to kind of the softest, you know, uh, really um, earthy and kind of ele elemental things. So I imagine you can kind of get out of there. Unless you want to, you know, I don't, if you ever want to put out like a hip hop record, I don't know if you could, you could drop some, some verses. <laughs> some bars on a baronet song i don't know that we i don't know that we could do that but only because i can't drop verses uh -oh. regardless okay you know i mean but if, if we could you know that like that's kind of the, honestly that's kind of the challenge sometimes in this banner that's that's like the one of the one of the best parts of it is as i have uh, like absorbed other styles of music and gained an interest in you know like just just like different dynamic ranges or different ideas about melody or you know at one point like writing songs with structure you know like typical structures was was a foreign thing for us so wherever my interests lie i'm usually pretty good at incorporating that you know absorbing that into the band in a way that's that's natural because you know there's sort of like one of the i guess one of the cornerstone rules when we're writing is no matter what the style is no matter what it sounds like as long as it's as long as it feels like Baroness, then it is. And we're you know, we've become we as a band <clears throat> have become very good bullshit detectors for, you know, where that, you know, in defining where that threshold is that then all of a sudden feels like forced. Yeah. Uh, and it's and, it, and the, the odd thing is, you know, this, this may seem counterintuitive, but like. You know, if we if we wrote a riff that sounded, you know, that had all the elements of every other riff that we write, but felt wrong, you know, in that in that sort of indefinable way, it, it hits the cutting room floor immediately. But if we're trying, you know, if we're messing around with rhythms and, and you know, melodic ideas that have never, ever been uh, presented in, in inside the context of Baroness before, but they feel right, they feel genuine and they move us, then then that they are exactly that's exactly what we're doing. And that's, you know, that's how we've, uh, you know, that's, that's a system that, that I really tried to set up, you know, in 2002, 2003, when I started the band so that we never got bored and we never got repetitive and we never ended up in that position where we felt obligated to include certain stylistic things or, Hey, you know, ever just so that our audience wouldn't turn their backs on us. You know, for me, it's like, uh, you know, sometimes the goal is to see how far we can push, before our audience pushes back or how, you know, just how, how high we can set our, you know, ambition bar before we, you know, before we fail and can't, you know, can't attain that. And that's, you know, that's helped, um, that's helped me use this band as a place where I can grow not only as a musician and as a, uh, as a, you know, as an artist or as a lyricist or as a vocalist or anything like that, but I can grow as a person through this band because, the idea is always to hold yourself to an extremely high ideal, yeah. and as soon as you, as soon as you get even close to achieving that, you know, those goals or getting close to those ambitions, you redefine those ambitions and kick them way further down the road. So you're constantly moving forward. You're never quite satisfied with where you're at, but uh, when we, you know, when we make an accomplishment, we feel, you know, we feel really, we feel really good about it. It's just that, okay that thing you know that whatever that thing is that we're talking about hypothetically we've accomplished that we've that has become part of you know baroness and what we do well I, i've definitely so, heard a consistency i mean rarely i've followed the band's entire career uh really going back to the the red owl that's when i got got into the band discovered the band 
And I've never really heard a moment that didn't, like you said, just feel like Baroness, even if it was sonically like approaching uh, new ground. Being the the really the the sole member that has existed throughout the history of the band, um, I've wondered how how it seems like the way you talk about it that you guys do have a collaborative process that it's uh, not just a John Baisley uh, you know solo band or something something like that. It, it, has, it has to be. You know, it has to be collaborative. It has to be. It has to be collaborative on uh, you know on several different levels. If for no other reason, uh, and there are plenty of other great reasons, but if for no other reason, then I, I don't want this to become, uh, I don't want anybody to ever consider this just, you know, my project and then, you know, the people that I surrounded myself with. That's, that's not the case. The case, you know, quite simply, uh, while I may have, my, while I may have the, the main ideas and I may you know, after in, in some sense of the word, like I, I may actually be writing these songs. There's no way that my vision is achievable without the group and the group. You know, this particular lineup of the, of the band is kind of incredible because they've actually helped teach. You know, when when Sebastian and Nick joined the band after after we were involved in this thing in 2012, where you know a bunch of bunch of members left, um, I basically had these. Yeah, I had to switch the whole rhythm section, which is which is a huge deal, and it's really difficult. You know, it's it's really difficult to do. We happened to get extremely lucky because we didn't do auditions, we didn't do anything like that. It was like kind of the first two guys that walked through the door were our new rhythm section. They didn't know each other, and they didn't really know the band that well. It wasn't like I got two Baroness fans to join uh, as a rhythm section. I got two guys who were familiar with the name uh, and familiar with the place that we'd come from to a certain extent. But through them, I was able to learn what you know uh, from a from a very different perspective than I'd ever heard. I was able to learn what we are, and you know, and what and what is special about our band. Um, and it was something that it was a, you know it was some really weird, subtle things that I never really uh, had seen before. But one of you know one thing that came up really uh, really quickly, and I noticed uh, worked almost you know almost every time is we could we could engage in like writing a song that if you know in anybody else's hands would have definitely been like associated with a style and a genre and maybe you know and something very very far afield from you know what people you know consider baroness but there this is this is not something that i actively you know i'm aware of but it's it, you know sebastian pointed out nick pointed out that there is something to the quality of my voice and the way that i sing that's that grounds something from potentially sounding too jazzy or too yeah it's, uh, it's definitive you know, like there's like a like a disco beat but something about the way that we something about the way we perform the you know the, the energy level that we put into it and the you know something about the you know maybe the ragged emotionally threadbare thing in my voice like keeps it you know you know what it reminds it, you know what it reminds me is actually is uh is allison chains that if you actually listen to the music, like I'm talking about the, like the Lane Staley era, if you listen to the, just the music on its own, it's really basic rock music. It's like, oh, going from G chord to D, but his voice sounds so dark and sullen and somber that it makes all their stuff sound dark, even if they're going to very normal chord progressions yeah. that we hear in rock music, you know? Yeah. And I th but and I think that's I think that's one of the you know I think that serves to like 
start me on the, on another point about you know the the collaborative nature of a band, which is that you know in in cases where I've where I've written songs and I've you know essentially like like so occasionally with Baroness I'll I'll record a whole demo by myself. Um, so that we so that we have you know something really clear to work from and then change and alter and everything like that. But when I do you know when it's only me playing guitar and bass and singing, I can't I can't really play drums anymore because my arms all screwed up. But uh, if I've done everything else, it sounds it sounds cool, but it doesn't quite sound like Baroness. You know, yeah. there's something there's something missing, and that that's another thing very difficult to define. But it's it's the it's the idea that character counts more than technique and i think that's that you know that's one of the that's one of the things that i really focus on uh, with this band is that uh you know our, our technique is is a tool uh it's a tool that we use to support the idea of our songs and our songs are held up more solidly by the character of each of the individual members than by the specifics of their performance uh, with regards to precision or accuracy or speed or you know technical competency. That's it's great to have that, but only when you only when you understand that, that that those things are a tool that you use when it's applicable and ignore when it would be counter you know counterproductive to the song. So, in effect, I I have come to think that you know myself and Gina and Nick, Nick and Sebastian we're kind of servants mm-hmm. we serve the idea of our song we serve the idea of the album as something that is far greater than the sum of you know the four parts that that create it uh, so it ta- and it takes i think it takes a certain level of humility to you know to accept that fact and and, and work with that as a songwriter uh i think you have you have you know you have to understand you have to we or we the four of us have to have a have a basic understanding that we don't need to hear each of the things that each one of us are doing at every point in time like the guitar solo is when you want to hear the guitar the verse is when you want to hear the vocals you know and and you always want to be aware of and feel the rhythm and the beat in some way but sometimes it's more obvious sometimes it's less obvious because different presentations of music different styles different tempos different relative volumes all require you know that your music and the levels and the performances change and adapt to suit those particulars so it's not like okay we're going to play everything at maximum 10 all the way across the that would be wearying you know so what's what i really love about this lineup and i feel like this is finally like the stable baron's lineup is everybody respects and trusts each of the other members such that we don't really need to talk about what to do in a song. We just we sort of feel it out like in an intuitive way, almost in an Im- improv way. And if I can start a phrase and Gina can finish it, and if Nick and Seb can immediately figure out an interesting rhythm that supports the idea of the music that's being played, and then there's a vocal that then all that music sort of has to play around, then then we're writing songs. But it used to be the fact when I was younger, you know, it's like I'm a guitar player. I want to hear my guitar all the time. And everything's got to be fireworks all the time. And yeah. what you realize, you know, what I realize now, and listening back, is a lot of times we're doing all of this really intricate, cool stuff. But because it's in the middle of a verse, and you hear vocals, you you know, vocals cover up everything. And so all that work, you know, for nothing, or ju- only to like, you know, really push the important, that, this really cool, important 
guitar thing down to the bottom. You don't hear it anymore. So it's you know, writing writing music and, and working with people is it's 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 difficult. It requires chemistry. It requires ambition. It means everybody's got to have the same, maybe not the same specific goal in mind, or the same specific vision, but that we're all working in parallel towards whatever that thing is in such a way that not, none of us are contradicting the others. And, you know, you're a musician, you understand this. It's very hard to have, to sustain that idea before, you know, somebody starts needing to get hurt a little bit more or, you know, something turns more in, like jamming can turn into solos yeah. more than it turns into songs. And what we, but what we've tried to do, especially with our most recent record, is we've tried to jam things out in such a way that we're not playing solos, but we're, we're just going to like, we're going to improvise enough that we eventually land somewhere that's really cool that we couldn't have if we just applied analysis first, and then we have a, then we have the structure of a song that's begun. You know? Yeah, I think I think a good jam in terms of uh, composition is almost like workshopping something. So you're kind of yeah. Uh, almost moving an idea through different amalgamations. And, and unfortunately, like, you know, I used to do that with my old band, God forbid, we would write a lot of stuff like that. And I feel like I haven't been really in a band that's done that in a while. Cause I have this other band that kind of does some stuff like that, but I've kind of graduated into this, uh, this different world of modern kind of the way bands are put together and the way songs are put together in the studio and very, clinical and you know one of the things i've i've just noticed about your band that makes it stand out so much against the rest of kind of popular heavy music is that organic feel is that old school nature everything feels very tactile it feels um analog it feels like you know i'm hearing vintage vintage instruments i'm hearing i don't know do you guys still record to tape do you still do you use a click are you or is it as Uh we don't record to tape anymore, um, but we are we are all, the four of us and our, and our you know our producer who who has become you know a very critical part of the way that we uh, that we record write and record music. We're so gear we're such gear nerds that even if it's digital, it's still you know we're, what we're looking for is ways to make sounds that have the same amount of character as yeah. each one of us has individually. So, you know, it ends up, you know, I think the, the organic sound comes, you know, from, from that mind, from that mindset and from, uh, you know, and also from the idea that, that I've always, that I've always had since day one to, you know, 2002, 2003, whenever that, whenever the first band meeting was, um, you know, I had, my idea then was what it is now, which is I, I don't care about how other people do it. I don't care what's what the status quo from music is. I don't care what works for that band so well. I don't care what works for that band so well. That doesn't mean that any of that's going to work for us. We should be aware of it, and we can we're we're more more than willing to try that sort of stuff. But I'm far more excited, and I get really excited when we do something that sounds like it won't work, or something that 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 uh, you know, like a like a, a either compositional or a vocal or a production or an engineering tactic that would work way you know that these use way more frequently in, in another genre or just something that's never been done before like i mean you, you, you're recording when, when you're recording when you're writing i think you only need i think the only time that you need to apply 
common sense and rationale is once you've got a finished thing. And that the only rationale, the only common sense you need to use is: Does this sound cool? Does it? Do I feel this song? Does it? Does you know? If if we're right, if it's something we're writing, and we understand something about what the song is about, you know, if it's based on a vocal hook or uh, or or an atmosphere or something like that, then the question is: Does everything in the song support that idea? Does everything in the song help push? the idea of the song, the, the concept of the song, the story of the song forward. If it doesn't, it's, it's extraneous. It's not necessary. We don't, you know, if it doesn't need, a, you know, a drum fill there because that doesn't support the idea, then don't put a drum fill there. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, we, we get into a very pure level at a, at a certain point. But before that, it's like, whatever. Like, if I can sing through, uh, you know, a piece of, uh, audio equipment from the 1920s that was used to broadcast, you know, military signals, and it sounds cool, even as fucked up as it might sound. If it sounds cool and it works, yeah, great. And we just did something that nobody else did. And I, you know, that's that's something that has become more and more uh, interesting to me as time goes on is finding those things that nobody's done yet. Um, at the very least, what what we're trying to do in Baroness is we're trying to do things that we've never done. We're trying to decontextualize music. I'm, you know, and then with, you know, with the, the philosophy of the band, it's, you know, sometimes it's just, let's present people with an alternative to the, you know, to what we perceive as the norm. So if we're playing heavy music, and you know, there have been times where heavy music is really about, you know, being tough and you know, keeping yourself stoic and really, you know, really presenting the audience with this image of strength and power and silence and aggression then maybe what we can do is the opposite of that. Maybe we can show a tender side, maybe we can show a tender side of, a, of aggressive music. Maybe we can, you know, emotionally open up in a way that you're not going to hear in a Slayer song uh, because, because that's what we're feeling. And we're, you know, I think something, something like anything that we can do that like sort of subverts the any people's expectations, I think is a good thing. If it doesn't work, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll shove it off the side. But we we make these great discoveries over the years by doing things that are intentionally antagonistic to the norm, you know. So I think I think it would make sense to our audience that as you know, as we're here on our fifth record or whatever, that we maybe we would finally do a big, high budget, over the top you know, big, like just big, uh, hi-fi sounding record. But I, but like, that's not our sound. That's not what I want our sound to be. So I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm going to go for a totally different thing. And yes, that's going to push people's buttons. Yes, that's going to create challenges. But if you're trying to be, if you're trying to innovate, you have to avoid those standard things all the time. And you have to be willing to take those risks and fail you know like that when we we went a record two, two records ago we released a record called yellow and green and i was sure that that was going to piss everybody off but i knew all those songs were important to me i knew we needed to release them all even the ones that i didn't think were like great songs they still represented uh you know a time period for us where we were expanding our sound and so i thought these are important songs to put out even though i know some of them are going to fall on deaf ears and you know, I think what we've done over the year, oh, since then is we've tried to refine that idea, so that we're using these, you know, these ideas that that aren't generally associated with bands like us, and we're trying to use them, you know, we're trying to use them in such an extreme way that 
that they become part of our sound, that we incorporate them as part of our sound. And by doing so, we're, we're you know, and playing them in front of an audience every night, we're showing, we're showing you know, however many people, you know, 500, 5,000, 50,000 people a night, that what, what can be done. And what you can, you know, if you're, if you're limited only by the bounds, bounds of your creativity, that's a different thing than saying, that's a, that's a very different way of approaching a record than, um, you know, saying, okay, well, we've, you know, we've been a band for 15 years. We need to be successful. We need to sell records. We need our tours to improve. We need our guarantees to go up. We need the money to get bigger. That's not what we're chasing. If we were, we would sound completely different. However, I feel like we have gotten lucky and we have experienced some of those successes, but only because we're really, you know, we're really following our, our passions in an uncompromising way. Now, do you, have you gotten pressure from maybe higher ups or people involved in your camp to say, hey, listen, ultimately we appreciate your artistry and, and your vision, but there is a bottom line here. Hey, we need to get into these kind of venues or like you said, get this guarantee or get this bigger tour. Has, has that ever come down uh, from, I mean, cause you guys obviously you put your own records out now, but you know, you have a fairly big uh, management company you're with and things like that, or have they been relatively supportive of your vision? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way. I, I wouldn't have knowingly signed on with any company that was going to was going to give that kind of advice. Yeah. What I is realism, you know, rather than somebody telling me what to do, which is the the reason I play the reason I play music and make art is because I want I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I yeah. want to be able to I want to trust my own judgment, my own instincts, and think that I'm that that is going to create something that's more valuable than if there's a an art director or somebody at the top saying. You know, change this, change that, and change that, and then we gotta, then we're, then we're in money. Uh, so, what occasionally what does happen is I get I get a realistic talk. Okay, you know, in other words, if this is your song, then you can expect X, Y, and Z to happen. Yeah, you, just managing but, expectations. But because it's six minutes long, like let's 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 eliminate the idea that that song's ever gonna hit the radio waves because it's six minutes long. If you wanted this song to hit the radio, it would have to be three and a half. Yeah. If you're not willing to do that, then that's great. But just understand that won't be able to happen. And that's, you know, that's the sort of stuff I, I find that kind of criticism far more valuable because it's it still respects the decisions that we've made. And it gives us it gives us a well-rounded picture and perspective on things and if we felt so inclined, we would we would be able to do we would be able to make some adjustments. But I I you know like I said I've I've, only, I've chosen to work with people who who respect what I do and the way that I do things and are are you know are whose job and whose interest is simply to help what I've you know what this band has done reach the most ears. Uh, without without compromising without sacrificing you know artistic mores or ethics or anything like that I think because I think that's the most important thing you know I always have it's it's like you know I got into I got into punk music first like the appeal of playing in a band was that no one tells you what to do you go on adventures you know your success is what you make of it and you are you know you're the you are the captain of you know whatever you're doing 
So when you succeed, you, you feel a sense of healthy pride. When you fail, you can't point a finger at somebody else conveniently. You take it on yourself and you learn a lesson. And, uh, you know, I think the other thing is, you know, I, I believe it's obvious to most people who understand that it's something in the history of our band, but I have a tendency to learn lessons the hard way. And I've, and I've found that, that those lessons stick. The lessons that I learned the hard way are the lessons that stick. Because when I was coming up, nobody told me how to how to do the band, and if they had, I wouldn't have listened. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, you really do have to go through these things yourself. It's it's like I mean, it's like it's kind of basic, just I think uh, coming into your own of hey, I can tell you, don't touch the hot stove, but you're really until you touch the hot stove, you're not really going going to learn. That, and that's why I was think exactly. uh, you know f uh, mm -hmm. success is born out of failure, and even the word failure in of itself, I think kind of undermines the value in experiencing something not going the way you wanted to so that you can have that experience, you know, and that you'll take that and push that into the next thing, you know? I feel as though I've spent the, the majority of my life in failing positions, which means I've spent the majority of my life trying to improve into a successful position. And, and that's made me, that's given me the, the perspective that, that I have, and I, I appreciate that more so than you know ever having been given you know hardline advice or, or or you know given rules or or whatever. Like that's that's not how I've I've chosen not to live my life that way. I encourage others to choose to live their life that way. However, it takes a whole lot more work. It takes you know you're you're inviting a deeper level of failure. You're inviting. Uh, a much more profound sense of weight with everything that you do. Uh, but for those who that appeals to, I think that's the only way, that's the only way to do it. It's, you know, it's, it's no compromise on your, on your vision, no compromise on your artistry, but where, where teamwork's involved, where other people are involved with helping you, then that's where you, you have to become flexible. You have to learn how to adapt and grow. It's like, you know, I, we've all met these dudes that are, you know, stuck in the 80s or stuck in the 70s and the way things were then, that was the only way that it was and blah, 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 blah. I just don't want to, you know, I mostly don't want to become one of those people, those like old curmudgeons who's saying, oh, when I, when I walked to school, you know, you had to walk barefoot for five miles. And that wasn't better. You know, that doesn't make me like, envy your experience but i understand you know i understand i understand the, the impetus you know for those of us that lived through a time when you know like making music and releasing music was a little bit more difficult i i don't understand why you would think that was better somehow than it is now where you know some kid in his bedroom can re record a song in an afternoon put it on spotify and theoretically his worldwide reach with that song is the same as you know any marquee level stadium selling act. I think that's I think that's awesome. Um, yeah, I think it's I think I think it's great great too. Um, you know, partially because you know I, I just think it's it's all how you look at it, right? I mean, in back in the day when it was harder to make albums and more expensive and difficult to get good sounding recordings, that means yeah. there were less of them. So in, in a sense, we valued the what we did get and now we have an abundance and since you, there's so much of it it's just difficult just to cut through the white noise of of content and 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 everything but i actually wanted to ask you something i was, I was watching uh the you did a thing for revolver where you you mentioned the moment 
that you decided to, uh, you know, say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to work for anybody. I'm going to make a living off of my art and my, and my creations. Um, and that strikes me as a very particular kind of mindset for uh, creative professionals, like people who say, have this, like, I mean, I don't, I mean, do you realize how, you know, how much courage that takes that most people don't have the, they're too scared of being poor, they're too scared of failing, they're too, uh, you know, or, you know, maybe they don't have enough faith in themselves. I mean, what, that inner drive or that, you know, whatever about you that was able to say, hey, I'm going to make this leap without having a parachute. Um, what do you what do you think that is about about your mindset that's maybe different from other people? I don't know. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, it, because it 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 seemed entirely natural to me, and I didn't I didn't even question it. It wasn't there wasn't I really you know maybe maybe in an unhealthy way I didn't really overthink it. I just was you know I was like waiting tables one night. You know I've been torn for I've been torn for years. I've gone through that whole routine of losing your job touring, coming back, finding a new job, losing that job, touring, you know, like, and that, that had just, of course, there are plenty of people who still do that, and I, you know, if I had to, I still would do that, but. Ain't nothing wrong with a day job. I just, it, it was, it was that I, you know, for, for all the anxieties that I have, for all the, you know, for all the, the negative, the negativity that, that I feel at times, uh, and that I live with, I do trust that I do trust my I trust my creativity. I trust my passion for what I do. You know, I mean, it, it's it, I feel like guys in my position or people in my my position, you know, like those of us with microphones and PAs at our disposal, we love to talk about how our passion guides us. Um, so I'm just saying, like, in a in a more subtle, more casual way, I really did trust that what I was doing was, you know, I was that dedicating more time to that was going to be the, I mean, that was enough. Honestly, that was enough for me just, just to have all day long to write music and make artwork and, uh, you know, de you know, and really dedicate myself to the thing that I've always wanted to dedicate myself to and not have the distraction of having to clock in and clock out of, a, you know, of a job, uh, was, you know, that was, that was the initial appeal. And I do think, you know, like I, I realize like giving this advice, this advice doesn't work as a blanket for everybody because I was ready. I was ready. You know, I've been used to living hand to mouth. I've been used to, you know, one, two meals a day because that's all that was available. That's all you can afford. I've been used to living in that, you know, I was freeloading and, you know, I just so happened to find these just complete dumps of apartments that, you know, we could stay in for next to nothing. I mean, we weren't living in any sort of glamorous way. It was disgusting. It was completely. <laughs> but I was so used. I was so used to it. It's like, oh, I mean, nothing's going to change there. I just have more time to do it, and I, I believe in what I'm doing. I believe every moment that I'm at a job, uh, you know, in the food service industry, every moment that I'm a job that that I don't care for in the way that I care for my art and the way that I care for my music, um, is a wasted is a wasted hour. That hour that I spent making money somewhere else, I could have just, I could, I would have been ten times happier, staying at home and working for no money. And so, that's a unique, that's a unique thing. I don't assume that everybody will will feel like that. 
but you're sure as shit not going to find out if you can last that way unless you do that. Yeah. There's no way. Well, no, I'm not going to say there's no way. Uh, it is very difficult to go from stability and re your regular routine job doing some, you know, doing something uh, menial. It, it's very easy to transition from that into a perceived art career that isn't exactly what you wanted or perceived music career that isn't something you wanted you can't but you can't go from being employed in a normal way to being in a touring band or to be a full-time freelance artist without really really putting yourself at great risk i mean you really have to trust that the quality of what you're doing is such that there's it's going to find an audience and somehow you're going to figure out a way to make ends meet. Um, and I did it when I was pretty young. And I never looked back. I hope I never, I mean, I, I think at this point I'm, I'm pretty much unemployable otherwise. So, I mean, I mean genuinely, like, no, nobody's going to hire me because I don't take direction. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't take direction. Well. Like, I've learned, I've learned not to. Even when you do album covers, you just kind of do your thing? What's that? Even when you do like album cover covers for other bands and stuff? Oh, I have the worst pitch in the world. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, but see, that's part of it is, Maybe I just got maybe I've just got a big head about it, or or maybe maybe my maybe it is like a confidence thing. But when I when I when somebody contacts me about making a piece for their uh, you know for their band, I, I I have to assume well I don't have to I don't have to assume, but I do my pitch is pretty weird because I I'll, I will I'm straight up about it. I don't take art direction. <laughs> You can't tell me what you want and expect that I'm going to do it. In fact, if you tell me what you want, you can you can bet your ass that's not what's going to happen. I'm going to give you two opportunities to make any to have any kind of input whatsoever on the art. One is when it's a sketch, and I'm going to show it to you, and you say yes, continue with this. No, uh, this isn't what we're after, and the project's dead. Or can you adjust one or two things? I mean, I'm not like, I'm not, in, like I said, I'm not inflexible, but it does have to be, you know, like if I'm making artwork, it has to be my artwork. Yeah. I've gotten to the point where I realize it's actually way simpler and easier to lose jobs because of this than it is to get embattled in these or embroiled in these arguments about, Hey, can you move this over there? And Hey, can you include this image? No, I give people two chances. Well, the first one is a sketch when you can say something, say whatever you want, and I'll respond to it one way or the other. And then the second is when I'm done, and then it's just a yes or no. Here's your album cover. Do you love it? Or if you don't like it, like, sorry, I'll, I'll take it back. And for for someone who wants to, who wants more input and control over their thing, uh, I, I'm, all, I'm, I'm not. I don't say it in a mean way. I don't say it in a presumptuous way. I'm like, I know this. I, I, I do understand this is me asking a lot from you, but I assume you've come to me because you've seen other pieces that I've done. Those pieces were done like that. There were surprises to each one of the bands that they were done for. Everybody's always surprised because they haven't really seen what I'm doing. And if the if that I if you don't trust that I'm going to surprise you in a pleasant way, you don't put 100 of everything that I am into it. And you know, spare no expenses, cut no corners. Then I'd set them up with like 20 other artists who I know will will work more in an you know with art direction and everything like that. Because I'm not trying to put I'm not trying to leave bands high and dry. I'm just yeah. trying to say 
we'll get into it. We will get into a big problem that will end up feeling a waste of everybody's time if you're trying to exert a control over me that I'm unwilling to have. But you know, to that end, I li- you know I listen to you. Your you know you as a potential client, like I listen to your band as a fan. And, and I'm able to hear something that you're not able to hear. So I want to know what you think about it, but I'm going to do it like I'm going to make artwork as if I'm a fan because I know what both sides, I know what all sides of this feel like. I know what it's like to be the artist. I know what it's like to be the musician. I know what it's like to be the audience. And I'm going to do something that is challenging and creative and compelling and that works with your, uh, you know, your, your music. But I'll, I also consider myself an artist, and, and that's a big distinction that I make. Uh, like over being a commercial illustrator or a designer or something, I'm an artist. So whatever I do, you know, each album cover that I do fits with all the album covers that I do because they're all one big long project. They each find a home with a different band and they are hand tailored for that album. You know, so the Darkest Hour cover has to do with the Darkest Album, Darkest Hour record. The Baroness covers have to do with the Baroness albums and so on and so forth. But the project, you know, the project of making artwork and being a visual artist uh, in the way that I consider myself means that I can't I can't separate these projects very far because my identity is is these projects. My, you know, I live inside these album covers. I live inside the music that I make. That's a more genuine reflection of who I am than, you know, than I that I am in real life sometimes, because that's where I'm free to express, you know, what I am inside and. Yeah, and that, and yeah. Sometimes people are like, "No, sorry, we want, you know, we want a, a witch mermaid riding a uh, serpent horse <laughs> across, you know, a rainbow into fucking hell." And I'm like, "Sorry, that that's not what I do." Yeah. Uh, but but, you know, because because I've grown up, you know, I came up in DIY, I came up in punk. Like, it's a community, and you can't if you're not getting help from one person, that doesn't mean that there's no help available. So here's five other artists, all of whom do incredible work. You can call them, and I'm sure they'll. I'm sure they'll work with you. You know. Um, kind of uh, pivoting off off that. You know, I mean, you're you're such a unique person in that you're elite as a, as an artist, as a visual artist. Um, I think you could, even if you weren't a musician, you'd probably have a pretty uh, pretty great career just just doing that, or have a pretty big name. And you're not only like just playing guitar. You're this great singer and this great songwriter. And um, it made me think about the idea of, of what talent is or skill, right? Or like where those, those two things meet, right? The idea like talent, maybe it's something you're born with, skill is something you can develop over a long period of time. Um, and I see someone like you who did make that choice say, hey, I'm going to do this. But you also had kind of the skills to back it up, you know, uh, many people try and make this leap or say, I want to be an actor, I want to be a poet or whatever they want to be, but ultimately they don't have it. They don't have the goods to actually go go down that road. Do you think your particular skill sets, which are are varied, um, is that something, you think that's innate or is that something someone could kind of go from a, a level of not being great at things and kind of get to a place like you well i think it's i think it's probably a little bit of both um i and i'll put it this way like i always assumed that i would make i would have a career as an artist 
I never ever thought for a single second that I would ever be known for playing music. That was something I, I loved. I always loved doing it, and I always did it. Uh, and same with art. You know, I've been making both since I was really young. Visual art comes a little bit easier to me than music. Music I really have to work at, uh, and that's why that's why I think if you listen if you listen to Baroness, you can hear. I mean, you I can hear myself growing like significantly across the course of our albums. Whereas with my art, I see refinements and I see improvements that happen on a on a like a, a slow incline. Whereas sometimes with the band, it's a little bit steeper. I think that <clears throat> I think everybody's capable of great. I think everybody is absolutely capable of something great. What I, what I think you have to realize is that by the time I started Baroness, I had been I had been my passion for music and art had had, had already existed for uh, you know nearly 20 years. I'd spent the entirety of my childhood trying to learn how to play guitar and trying to learn, you know, trying to become a better artist. That's working. I have like, you know, I think it, I think it boils down to work ethic. I think that's important. But I do see that there, there is, a, you know, you, you use two words, but for me, that there's art and there's craft. And yeah. you know, as an artist, the greater your, uh, your skill set is with, with, uh, with regards to your craftsmanship, the more fluidly you can use, the more fluidly and more dynamically you can adjust your art and you can express yourself. Because art, to me, you know what I define art very brief. You know, if I get, if I got to be really brief about it, art's express personal expression. Okay, craft is doing something that has a has a purpose and it's a little bit well, more Craft is execution. Yeah, craft is execution, and it's something you can refine. You 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 know you can. If you're a cabinet maker, you can make you can make a you know there's no functional difference between uh, you know a perfect rectangle and that same rectangle embellished and burnished and finished and you know with all sorts of uh, little details added to it. Uh, so uh, so as a you know when it when it comes down to music, I think that pure art music that is pure art is very dense and difficult to listen to. I think music that's pure craft is actually pure bullshit. Uh, it's, it's just entertainment, you know, for entertainment's sake. What I try to do is I, I'm constantly trying to be aware of, with both my visual art and my, you know, anything that I do that's creative, creative I'm trying to increase the, I'm trying to increase my skill set as a craftsman. but only because that allows me to be an artist and have more options you know the art is more important you know the, the stuff that comes from deep inside the stuff that you feel the stuff that moves you makes you dance makes you cry makes you laugh allows you to to look at you know that for, for me it's cathartic for me i i use these songs to express things that would be very difficult for me to talk to you about, things that I still struggle with, things that, that are with me every day that I'm afraid will destroy me otherwise. But because it's art, because I've, because I've expressed it in such a way, I'm trying to take something that's really, really ugly to me and really terrifying to me and turn it into something beautiful. And through that process, I'm learning something about me. I'm giving away some of the power that uh, negativity can have 
if it's suppressed or if it's repressed. If you hold, hold these fe- if you hold these fears inside you and nobody else knows they exist, then you're suffering silently with them and alone. And I've learned that by giving a voice to these things and by setting them free and putting them on stages and making beautiful music out of it, that I'm actually finding myself making connections with more people than I than I ever have in my life. And I, you know, I suffer from certain types of social social anxieties. <clears throat> it's very hard for me to like. It, it'd be impossible for me to address 1,200 people in an audience with a microphone and not have an instrument. Yeah. I don't know what to say. But then I have, you know, as soon as it's not verbal anymore, as soon as it's music and it's lyrical and and there's some artistry put to it, then I can say whatever I want. I can express the deepest, darkest parts of me, and people find themselves in those thoughts, and we reflect that back and forth, and it's like we're having a big conversation inside a venue or at a festival or whatever, it doesn't matter, but all of a sudden I'm communicating at a level that I wouldn't be able to do otherwise, so I, I, it's the most important thing in the world to me. You know, and, and art, same thing, it's telling stories non-verbally, uh, it's expressing your frustrations, it's venting your angers, and uh, you, you know, expressing pain and, and deciphering you know, for me, I'm a, <clears throat> I'm a chronic pain sufferer, so I'm I'm just trying to figure out new ways of taking that that pain inside me and putting it somewhere else, so that it lives somewhere and is something much more positive than it would be otherwise. Yeah, um, that actually kind of pivots off this other idea because I I think about you as someone who seems grounded, and uh, you know, you have a sense of, of vulnerability and kind of. Uh, you know, a realistic version of, of, of who you are. And that's kind of, uh, antithetical to the idea of like the rock star, right. This kind of larger than life presence. Um, and someone who has to kind of be bigger than that. I mean, what has it been like for you, um, being perhaps like a visual artist who's someone who gets to work, um, perhaps in isolation, not involving crowds, things like that. And all of a sudden kind of becoming like a famous guy being the front man being someone who uh people you know you've probably just seen this in in your life is that all of a sudden people treat you differently oh like, yeah perhaps put you on a pedestal in in a in, in a way and i i imagine uh for someone with your personality not that i i know you super well but just what i kind of gather from what I've, I've i've learned about you I mean, has that been difficult uh, transition into like the band kind of ascending to this certain level of, of, of prominence and your fame growing? How's that been to handle? I wouldn't necessarily call it difficult, but I would I, I will I will definitely say that it's something I'm I'm hypersensitive to and I'm very aware of. And um you know, like like many of us, like I got into music because I felt like an outsider everywhere else, and the the you know the music community and the DIY community was somewhere that accepted me for who I was, and taught me how to you know taught me so so many lessons about not just about being in a band but just about how you treat people and how you you know how you can go through life and be respectful of everybody, uh, and you know and as as the band grew, and as our popularity you know our uh, like our popularity grew, uh, I, I started to, you know, of course I started to feel that people were, people did start to, you know, seemingly raise that, you know, that unseen pedestal that I never wanted to have, to, to have anyway. 
And at first, I fought. You know, I think I think what this. I think you know. Let me, let me preface by saying, I think that this that Baroness. Uh, we we try to do is we try to eliminate those barriers. You know, it's impo- in a realistic way. I mean, the the reality is, I'm on a stage, so I'm taller. I have a microphone, so I'm louder. I have material that I've worked out, so I've got something to say. But that doesn't mean that what I'm saying is more important than anybody else or that my experience is any more important or that that the you know the act of me uh making those expressions should seem like my expressions are more valuable than those in the audience or you know people people who are listening or you know where however you how are you discover our band and see the art um and for a while i i thought it might be possible that we do a good enough job of like demystifying that that no but that 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 pedestal disappears and that's and that's important to you yeah and that is important to me because i because i i think people need to know that the idea that that we do not represent the idea of a rock star we do not represent the idea of celebrity what we do what we are doing is we are we are playing music we are trying to express ourselves there is a popularity that has come along with that. There is an attention that has come along with that. And that's the thing that I had to get realistic about. There's no way for me to avoid, you know, if, if people want to listen to us and if our records, you know, more and more people are buying our records, I can't, I can't help that. I can't help the, the fact that people, that we will be perceived as more popular. But as humans, we've changed. We haven't changed at all. We've, gr- we've grown up, but we haven't. We haven't grown into, you know, the the rock and roll cliches. We're trying really hard not to be those cliches. And I've found that in, you know, in reality, the easiest way to, you know, approach our fans and and to show them that there is, this distance that they perceive it, it doesn't exist is to accept the fact that we have been put on, you know, we have been put in an elevated level, and. You know, I could spend my whole life trying to just feel like a normal person again. But I've been in, you know, I've been in too many magazines. Too many people have written down the words that I say. Too many people have interviewed me for me to realistically expect that. So in recent years, I've really tried to adjust some things. And, and one of the most important things is I'm trying to set an, ex- you know, I, I think I think we have an opportunity here to set an example for people. You know, first when we were when you know when we were injured so severely, the example that I couldn't help set, but I, because I because I didn't want to stop playing music was the fact that you can be you can take you know life can throw you just about the worst thing it can you know you can basically nearly die, nearly have your limbs cut off, nearly stop your career forever. But if you have the will to move through that and the ambition and the vision that'll carry you through it, you can do it. Like, and that, that was the first, that was the first thing that I saw. And as we were doing that, I realized that people, you know, when we released our last record, Purple, which deals with that really directly, I noticed that a lot of our fans were sharing their, their versions of that story with me. Like the, the things that had happened, the extreme and severe things that had happened in their lives and how they had gotten through it. And so all of a sudden, I didn't feel alone in getting, even in getting through it. Like all of a sudden, I realized my pain's not special, my experience isn't special. It just got 
some press. That's the only thing that's different. Yeah. But this guy and that lady, and, and we've all suffered loss. We've all suffered, you know, some people suffered far more than I am. And now we're talking about it and we're communicating. And that's really what, that's really what gets us through this. So that was the first, that was, you know, sort of the first thing I realized. And then, you know, on the, on the tail end of that, I realized that we have, if, if we're, if we can't help the popularity that comes our way, we can at least use it for good. And so I've become involved with as many benefits and charities as I possibly can through this band, uh, you know, in order, in order that, and, and I don't talk much about it, in order to set an example, because I find that our audience uh, sees the actions that we take and responds to those more than, you know, us just running our mouths and talking about, you know, talking about these things. Like, you know, we we like to put our money where our mouth is with, with those with those issues. And so, you know, if there's going to be a tension on us, if that's the sort of thing we're not, you know, that we've tried to buck against, then we're going to use the attention that we get to hopefully uh, inform people on some of the other things that are going on out there that, that uh, you know, that deserve the attention rather than the four of us being like awesome musicians to look at. Like, okay, so if somebody's going to pay that attention to me, I'm going to re-divert them, you know, to some of the charities we work with, or I'm going to try to, uh, you know, just make make our band a place where people can express themselves not just us but our fans and you know and anybody any any of the bands we tour with any people we work with i you know i'd like to think that we can use music for you know for some actual good uh that that you know exceeds the normal like two hours of escape that we get to uh you know as as a touring band in a venue uh i think that i think there's more to it and I think that it, you know it would be nice. It would be nice to see. It would be nice for me to see all, more bands doing that sort of thing. You know, I'm not saying that we're the best. I'm not saying you know we're only doing what I learned from being a Fugazi fan when I was a kid. You know, um, but I, th I think that's the thing. Is like the idea of being a celebrity doesn't appeal to me at all. The idea of using any celebrity that we accumulate as a platform to open people's minds and, and teach people how, uh, you know, what, pro what problems are out there and what things are, you know, what things are we, we are currently dealing with and that we, that we all need help with. I think that's a, I think that's a better use of that, uh, that attention and the social media and, and, uh, you know, everything that comes along with it. And, it, you know, again, it just, just means more work, but the work, you know, for me, the process is important. The work's important. I feel I want to feel impassioned about everything that I do, and I want people to understand that I don't see art as a superficial thing. I don't see music as a superficial thing that you just listen to or you just look at. Like, it's deeper than that. My experience with others, the art and music of others, has been so much deeper and richer than that. I want to. I want to, in the best case scenario, think that some of our fans can find that with us, and that we can then show them you know, a different world or, or, or enlighten them to something, you know, something that we see by virtue of the fact that we're traveling all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's a weird, you know, be, becoming popular is very weird to me. Yeah. It's very, very well, I, I'll listen, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I really have a, one or two more, more, more questions, but, um, kind of going back to something you said before about this idea of, uh, of heavy music and these tropes, you know, about, projecting strength or pro projecting this kind of um perhaps like masculine ideal or um 
machismo. I wonder, um, has having Gina join the band um, kind of made some of those issues? Because I find like the touring culture to be mm -hmm. a very sexist environment. Um, just the way, you know, guys in bands or crew people talk about maybe women that are on the road, or I've heard about yeah. women who, some bands who won't hire women because they're, oh, they're, they'll hook up with the, the band or, or people who haven't gotten jobs be, be, because of that or the double standards of men who will hook up with people on tour and it's kind of okay, but as soon as a woman does it, then she's being unprofessional and, and, and things like that. But um, is having uh, a woman join the band, has that kind of recontextualized some of that stuff and brought it, made, made it more apparent or more, or more, um, I don't know. I just wonder how's that changed kind of the, the vibe. I, uh, like, I may have the wrong perspective. I may be the person with the least perspective on this, but I would say, I would say to the, the, the greater issue that you're talking about, cause I think we can all agree that you know, the world of touring, the world of music is really male dominated. Yeah. I would just say, look at, look at the, look at the makeup of our crew, look at the makeup of our band and, and then, you know, and then tell me that women can't do what men can do because I, I you know, my hiring policy is, well, we're about 50, we're about 50, 50 and the band's 25, 75. Yeah. Uh, Gina didn't get the job. Our tour manager didn't get the job because they're women. They got the job because they're the best people for it. Yeah. You know, and I don't, I, I, I actually don't like talking about it too much because, because I, I genuinely believe that if you're going to prove, you know, if, if you're going to show people and disprove, if you're going to disprove sexism uh, and racism and, uh, you know, the politics of sexual identity, if you're going to disprove those things, well, if I'm going to, and I'm a, I'm a white male, you know, so I'm, I can't, my words mean nothing. But my actions and the actions of this band and the way we represent ourselves do stand in direct opposition to the idea that, you know, that men, that any sexist, any racist, any homophobic ideas that anybody would have, you know, are, first of all, are never going to be welcome on our tours, not backstage, not, you know, not on the bus, nowhere. That, that kind of shit doesn't fly with me. Yeah. And it never would. Um, but more importantly, you know, we've put, we've put the, those ideas into action and we, we hire based on merit, uh, not, and not on statistics or anything like that. So, but I, you know, having, you know, having Gina in the band because, you know, because of who she is, I think, I, I hope that that offers some inspiration for some of our audience who may, you know, who may be musically inclined and might be scared about that sort of thing or might have reservations. I'd like to, I'd like people to understand that even at, even at the level of our shows in, in the venue, in any venue that we're playing, we, we hold the entire venue accountable for those same, those same sorts of things. I'd like to think that our, you know, Garner show is a safe place. We're not, you know, we're not here to beat our chests and be a bunch of gorillas and, you know, encourage aggression or anything like that. And, and as a result, I noticed our, uh, over time, our audience has been become this beautiful, wonderful, caring, uh, like normal group of people. And I, I, I hope that that continues. And I hope that spreads because, you know, the, 
even when I started, dude, when I started out in music, when I started off with making artwork for bands, like one of the first projects I got was uh, for Pig Destroyer, Phantom Limb. And, you know, I was talking to them and we, we got to talking about the same thing about how it's just, it's just so, everything seems so masculine. Like the look of album covers at that point, you know, it's just like flames and skulls and like exaggerated women and like all, all this kind of crazy, you know, crazy shit that I just don't, I just, it's not, not my thing. I don't, I don't buy it. I don't believe in it. So I tried to make an album cover for them that really just twisted that up, you know, cause I think big destroy people really expect, expect like gruesome, you know, like kind of sweaty male gross kind of thing. And, and so I did something that was, uh, that still fit their vibe, the vibe of their music, but was extremely feminine. And I was thinking, this is really going to piss off their fans. And they, you know, they were into that and everything like that. And in a way it did, but then I noticed five years later, the, the style of artwork that I had made for that album cover was starting to, was starting to spread and other people were starting to do similar, similar things. And at first I was like, oh, it feels, it, I feel like, you know, this one guy was copying, sort, sort of felt like he was copying me and there was a label that was like basically like tracing album covers that I had done. Um, but on the whole, I, I thought, well, now it seems like the you know the idea of women as being you know just as strong or stronger than men from an aesthetic standpoint has be, has become a thing in, in you know at least in certain parts of the you know the music scene and I was like well, okay well that's see like you can make you know I was like oh I can make a little bit of a difference maybe not a big one but a little one you know and I think I think any you know anything anything we can do you know as a band to just be be individual be unique but be ourselves and you know uh promote creativity promote positivity because it's so fucking easy to just be negative about everything point out the faults say it used to be better say you know like grass is always greener i'm you know like i'm a realist i i think i think things are largely negative but i'm I'm my search is for i'm looking for the light you know i want to see i want to see the positive and everything that's happening around me it's harder to do that than it is to you know to focus on the negative so that's you know, that's kind of what we're, where we're at these days as a band. Right on. Um, you know, it's interesting. It's kind of ironic because, uh, you know, I purposefully didn't ask you about the accident because I, I kind of, before when I was preparing for this, I, you know, try and check out some interviews and kind of see what ground people have covered so I don't <laughs> tread over the same ground. Yeah, you know, that's, um, that's a wet and uh, subject. Yeah, but, but, but I don't hide. No, no, but I, but, uh, but the thing is, I, you know, it's, I think sometimes narratives um, can kind of overshadow uh, where, you know, something that happened that, that tends to obviously is like a almost a nuclear explosion, right? Within your life or the, or the, or the life of, of, of the band. But, but at the same time, um, you know, I just want to focus on what is going on now, where you're at now. Um, and I, I just know, notice how people get sick of it. Uh, talking about that stuff, but I'm actually going to see the band The Ghost Inside tonight. And I don't know if you know about them, but they had a really bad bus accident. Uh, the oh, drum- no, I didn't. Yeah, they're like a hardcore band. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. The, the drummer yeah. lost his leg. Um, he like l- has a whole like system now, how, how he plays. So they're doing their first show back tonight after having a really well, bad bus accident. So that's it's kind of a an interesting uh, confluence yeah. of of events but um but no i'm not even gonna ask ask you about that accent but i just kind of wanted to talk about that because i'm going to see this this band tonight but um you know we'll let you know i'm i'm a massive fan 
of your band. You're one of my favorite bands. Uh, I remember before I joined my band now, I was always saying, I was like, man, if, they, if that other guitar player turns an ankle or something, I, <laughs> if I could ever get a chance to play at Baroness, I was like, one band, you got one band. I was like, I would, man, I'd love to if we can jam with that band. But you found with Gina, man. She, I saw you guys at um, Knotfest. Um, that was the first time I've, I've seen you guys. I want oh, Knotfest. Or it was. <laughs> Oh, Ozfest. Ozfest Oz meets Knotfest. Yeah, yeah. In uh, California. Yeah. And that's still the only time I've seen you, but I want I want to come to like a headline show. I can see like a full set and stuff. But I, I just want to oh, let you know. So too, it's full set. So cool. So much cooler than the, the festival. Thing. Yeah, they, it was the daylight. It was whatever the sound, the wind, whatever. But uh, but anyway, I just want to let you know. I really appreciate you doing the show. You're a real inspiration to me personally, and you know I just wish you guys the best in the world and success for the new record and success with touring and everything, man. And, uh, it's, it's been really great talking to you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. I, I agree. Thank you. That was a great interview. Thank you. Thank hey. you for reaching out. Of course, brother. I mean, have a great day. All right. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. We'll do. All right, Ben. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
So that track was entitled Front Toward Enemy, and it's from the new Baroness album, which is called Gold and Gray. And you should support this band. I mean, they're, they're a successful band, so it's not like, uh, you know, I don't think I'm doing them too many favors. But, um, but yes, I always like to support the bands that, that, that I love. And uh, I'm so grateful that John took the time out of his day. He was, you could probably hear, he was at a venue and, and uh, you know, I don't do too many. This actually went through a uh, a publicist, and I don't I don't deal with too many people publicists for this show. It's it's pretty informal, and I and I really appreciate it because I know how busy bands days are on tour. And you know, the fact that he took his time was incredible. I thought that was amazing. He has so much uh, wisdom and 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 depth, um, and he's he's one of those those special guys. So uh, I will I will always appreciate that, and hopefully I can see them soon and 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 actually converse with him face to face so that that was that was really fun uh so with that said you know you know guys i'm, I'm gonna do so i, I kind of debated whether i wanted to talk about this because i had a but so i guess this is why i'm putting this at, at the end so if you want to turn off now turn the show off if you already turned it off you, you might be doing yourself a favor so i had an interesting <laughs> uh exchange on twitter so I don't know if you guys have noticed, you know, I, I, historically, I've been very interested in politics. I've written quite a lot about it. I've talked about it on this show a fair amount. But if you noticed, I've talked a lot about it a lot less in the past year or so, because frankly, it's just become a drag and it hasn't been fun and it hasn't been really that compelling to me. Uh, But every now and again, I'll drop a nugget on Twitter, just, you know, like a, like leave a little breadcrumb, let you know I'm still kind of out there. And uh, one of my uh, my subjects of my my ire from from time to time, uh, I guess I was getting triggered. They were triggering the libs, guys. And uh, so I saw Ben Shapiro was was criticizing Bernie Sanders. You know, uh, and uh, Bernie t- tweeted. He said, "Greed is the religion of the billionaire class." And a nation based on greed will not survive morally, economically, or politically. We have to take the power back from billionaires, blah, 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 right? Kind of typical Bernie Sanders shit. Millionaires and billionaires, right? And then uh, Ben Shapiro comes in and he goes, oh, should I do the Ben Shapiro voice? Like, greed is literally your, your religion. You want to steal other people's money and distribute it as you see fit, right? Greed is literally your religion. You want to steal other people's money, distribute. And I was, I thought that was kind of odd. Uh, here's what I wrote. I said, according to Ben Shapiro, by the way, I did not word this properly. I th- I didn't, you know, as a writer, I did, my wording wasn't properly, but you write quick on Twitter. You're just banging out. You know, you're not, you know, you're not proofreading properly. So I could have worded a little better. And some people criticize me on that, but I'll just a little caveat. So I, I wrote, according to Ben Shapiro, the definition of greed is giving money from rich people, terrible sentence, to poor people. Bernie is advocating for, to, for raising his own taxes, giving away your own Actually, this is a terrible tweet, actually. I probably should, deserved a lot of this stuff. I said, ask the question, giving away your own money is greedy? This take is so dumb. Smack on the face. Seems like someone is using a lot of feelings, not facts. Uh, and then... <laughs> Ben Shapiro quote tweeted me and said something I don't even remember. And but that I thought that's not even the, the relevant thing was that you have someone who's really famous, especially in the p- political uh, 
realm. There, his whole his whole posse came at your boy, yo. And at first, it was a little like intimidating because you hear about the Twitter mob, right? Like such and such sick their people on. I'm like, you hear about this like with Star Wars people, like that girl who left Instagram or something, or Leslie Jones, like Milo comes after him, you know. And I didn't get anything too crazy. It was your 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 typical fair. Uh, but first, here's what I'm gonna do first. Let me explain what I meant because I don't think I actually worded it that well. And so probably I, I do deserve a little criticism for that. And I'll, 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 I'll take that as a writer. And that's a problem with, with tweets. Uh, me, I have this thing when I write, it's like almost, uh, I like forget words. So sometimes I'll forget a don't or a the, it's fucking really weird. Like I think I write it and I didn't and it goes out or, I, you know, so anyway, my point was if Bernie Sanders wants to tax billionaires more and spread the money around to poor people, that can't be greed because it's not, he's not getting the money. That's not greedy. Greed means I want the money. Give me the money. I get more or, or, or the more of anything, right? I want more food. I want more cars. I want more, whatever. It's, it's all about the self. Greed is about the self. So that's why greed can't literally be Bernie Sanders money because if he taxes richer people and it gets spread around to everyone else on the bottom, he doesn't keep the money. So that's not really greed. Now, now if he would have, if Ben would have worded it, poor people who want to get some of rich people's money are greedy. At least there's a line of logic because that lines up what the word greed means. Hey, I'm getting something, but Bernie's not getting the money. So he can't be greedy for other people. Does that make sense? That's all I was really trying to say. And I said, he's advocating raising his own taxes, meaning Bernie makes is a millionaire, mainly because of his, his book sales. I think his wife has a lot of money too. Um, so by raising taxes on the wealthy, the 1%, he would be raising his own taxes. You get that, right? And some people are like, what are you suggesting? That Bernie would pay for, he would pay it by himself, exclusively raise his own taxes? No, no. What I'm saying, he got skin in the game. I'm saying by, if, I always found this a little, and I, and I get this, guys. Like, I, I, there's actually one review on uh, on iTunes, someone criticizing me of, like, spouting leftist views, liberal stuff, and I, and I get it, you know? Um, I don't want to turn people off to the show and give a little and wag my finger and kind of uh, take one side of the aisle. I get it. I don't, and I probably wouldn't want to listen to a show that does that. So I'm, I'm going to try and not do that. I just want to explain where I'm, where I'm coming from with this particular thing is just saying, I don't care which side of the tax thing you're on or social programs. I really don't care. I was just talking about the word greed. We can't change the meaning because it doesn't suit what we're doing. I didn't call anyone greedy. I'm not saying if you don't want your taxes raised that you're greedy. That's not what I'm saying. Just saying I can't be greedy for someone else. I can only be greedy for myself. That's all I'm saying. Just talking about the meaning of words. That's, that's all that's all I was talking about. Um, but anyway, so I thought it was really fascinating uh, that this kind of biosphere of Twitter when someone famous kind of sends the dogs after you, which he obviously intentionally didn't do, but by quote tweeting you, you kind of know what's going on. But at the same time, if I don't want to play in that world, 
um, I probably should have kept my mouth shut. So I decided to chime in and, you know, I got clapped back and I had to, you know, and it, so it was interesting because it was a lot of the same type of arguments. It'd be like, you know, man, I work hard. You take motherfucking, motherfucking government, take my money, gonna give it to these immigrants. I'm like, okay, yeah, I get, I get it. I get it. Okay, we heard that one. It's theft. The government puts a gun to your head. Okay, I've heard that one. I get it. I get it. I get it. You know, Bernie does. He doesn't pay his campaign. I can't get it. Get it. Get it. You know, there's a lot, lot. There's a lot of stuff out there. Very, very similar. Very, it's, it's, um, you know, but <laughs> so, and a lot of people. If you're not used to that, if you're not used to getting having people just shit on you on the internet, then clearly you haven't written for VH1.com uh, about music because or put out records with message boards and have people or being bad wolves and people tell you how much you suck. Oh, I had a couple of people. I had stick to music a couple of times, which is good. Old, oldie, but goodie stick to music. And then, uh, your band sucks. I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't ne- That's not necessarily necessarily correlated with my bad opinions. You know, those things are mutually exclusive. You know, they, they could, they could be related. Probably not. Um, but what I started doing it's just kind of being, just fucking with people a little bit, being nice, not taking too seriously. Uh, just you know, like what's 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 some, some ones I did? I think I maybe I should I should say some of the ones I did. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> some guy goes, uh, "No doc, the dumb take here is, is yours, my friend." I said, "I'll consider your astute critique." And get back to you, my man. You know, thumbs up. Sometimes I favorite some of the ones where they where they shit on me. Someone goes, Bernie Sanders is a Marxist, and then I said, I I really do love the Marx Brothers, and then put a picture of Groucho Marx. You know, I just tried to have fun with it. You know, someone's like, well, you're you're not a very serious person, and I, you know, put a why so serious, and just the idea is like, listen, guys, this shit is not that deep. All right, we can talk politics, we can, but we're not. It's not a boxing ring. I don't hate you. I don't know you. You're just, we're people across the world, you know? And it's, and I think it's interesting to have a conversation, but you literally can't have a real conversation with 200 people just shitting on you and calling you an idiot, right? And I, I have to say this. I said, I said it was a dumb statement and I, I, I do regret that, you know, because I think, I don't think Ben Shapiro is dumb. Um, but when you say someone does something dumb, people just presume you're calling them dumb. And by virtue, that means if you're doing dumb, something dumb, then I'm a smart, smart and, you know, in the name calling, it's not really helpful. So I probably, had I known I would be quote tweeted and it'd become a thing, um, I probably would have chosen, chosen my words a little more carefully. Um, but I tried to have fun with people and let them know that I don't take it uh, personally. I really don't. And you, and you have to, you have to have, thick skin in this in this this new world you know you don't want to be the guy i don't want to be the guy and you know angrily yelling at people on twitter like i see some guys like uh who's a guy from uh david simon who like ran who uh did the wire that dude was like cursing people out and calling them fuck balls and it's like nah, i ain't got time for that shit all right doc Cole's here for peace love and happiness you know someone was said to call me dom i was like all i said was i love you and sent him a kissy face you know, because I do, I don't, you know, this isn't your politics, isn't all of you. It's only a piece of you. And we've kind of turned it in this social media era to like this scarlet letter thing, 
you know, um, like people, I won't date this person, you know, which I I guess some of that is like shared values and that makes sense. But it just was not, we're so split, split on this shit that, you know, it's just, it outshines all this other stuff. And I get it, you know, Trump is divisive. So it's not, it's hard to be um, subtle about it, right? So like, if you really hate Trump and then someone here really likes Trump, you're just, those people are probably not gonna get along and I get that. And so that divisiveness is baked into it. Um, but back in the day, like people just didn't, it was, it, you know, we, it, it just wasn't as on the surface as far, you know, actually you know, I wasn't there, but that's why I hear, that's what they tell me, motherfucker. I ain't that old, all right? I know what's going on in 1932, all right? Anyway, this has been quite a rant. And if you're still listening, you probably deserve a fucking gold medal. But um, I just kind of wanted to talk about it because, I, uh, you know, it's just it's a funny th- it's a funny thing. You know, it's not every day, uh, you know, a uh, big timer, you know, claps back at you, says, sick them, boys, you know. And then I went from being a little mortified to having actually a lot of fun with it and, and talking to people and hopefully realizing that, yo, just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I dislike you, you know, uh, and we can still talk about it and try and get to a point of understanding. But most people don't want to do that. Somebody even they did the thing like, you should debate Ben and he would destroy you. <laughs> I'm like, he would destroy. I mean, really? You think like I'd be broken emotionally and mentally from a debate? I think I would actually do pretty, pretty good. Because at first I'd do, I'd watch his 10 rules, how to debate a leftist. Even though I'm not a leftist, I would, I would, I would bone up, you know, I do some research. That's then I get some statistics and I say them real fast like he does. You know, you don't get time to respond, you know. But no, I don't care about debate probably should be happen like privately. You don't need because the whole thing when you have a crowd there, it's all about winning. I don't care about winning. I just want to talk to you. Where you come from? Are you honest? Are we honestly have this talking or are you just trying to defeat? You know, I, I, I ain't trying to beat nobody. Just trying to share. Wow. I guess I went from tired to wired. We got some grape soda here. It's been a long night. It's good, yo. It's a good thing I don't have a radio show on late night talk shows. I'd be saying some outlandish shit, you know, even more outlandish than this, you know. So, anyway, <laughs> this has been fun. Actually, I'm having a little fun with this, so you know. But I really do have grape soda, just to let you know. So, anyway, the X Man's out. I gotta go play a show tomorrow, and uh, you know, just gonna get back, stretch my back, have some fun, you know. No basketball. I'm pissed off. So that's why I was about to say Mamba out, and I realized there's no basketball on. So hopefully that shit will come back soon. I love you guys. Sorry for the rant. If you're on the right side, you're conservative. I hope I didn't piss you off too much. I love you too. Always want to talk to your boy. I, I got your back. You know what I'm saying? If you like Trump, you know what I'm saying? I'll pretend to like Trump just for you, just to keep the listener. You know what I'm saying? I'll put on the, the hat. I ain't, ain't going to put on the hat. I'm sorry. I can't do that. I can't do it. I still love you, though. I don't care who you voted for. Right? I need them listens, baby. Come on. All right, mama's out.
Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.